God is good. How's everybody today? It's a good day. Woo! Palm Sunday. And everything that that entails. You know, the thing about holidays is that they end. But kind of the bad thing about holidays is that they end. And um, the real meaning of the holidays that, that we talk about, that, that we celebrate through the year, they should never end. Well, what does Easter represent? It re- represents His resurrection. We should be aware of that every day. Amen? Um, we celebrate the 4th of July. What is that? Independence. We ought to have independence on our mind all the time. Amen? In, in, in the fall, we celebrate Thanksgiving. And you, you need to be thankful every single day, not just that week. Right? And, you know, we, we try to bring messages during these times that, that relate to the things that happened. But, man, we needed to carry on. I mean, throughout our whole life. And, and Christmas represents what? The birth of Jesus. And you can't have the birth of Jesus mean really anything unless there was a life. And there was a death and a burial and a resurrection and, 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 and an ascension and sitting at the right hand of the Father and all dominion and power and authority. I mean, there's, the birth meant nothing if it didn't produce that. It needs to go on all year long. So, you know, don't overdo holidays and celebrations. Thank God for Easter and the time of the year and everything else. But what matters is what's living and abiding on the inside of you. Amen? Every day of your life. So, take this word today, the series we're teaching on Raised to Life, and allow it to become more a part of you and who you are in every area of your life. Can you say amen to that? <clears throat> so, this Palm Sunday in this series, we're focusing on life eternal, and we're foca- focusing on on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and the decision that he made during this this period of time. If you look in Scripture, if you, as it was encouraged today to, to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, look at the life of Jesus during this week. Spend some time in that because you see that you see that Jesus was raised just like us. The, the, you know, when Jesus was five years old, he didn't realize he was headed to the cross. He didn't. When he was 15 years old, maybe he was developing more of an understanding, but he had to get the revelation just like you and I get it. He didn't get that understanding because he was, he was directly from the seed of the Father. He didn't have that revelation. It had to be developed on the inside of him. In these last couple of weeks leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus, in in this time period on this Palm Sunday and Pentecost, um, he began to know, and probably earlier, but he began to know without a doubt, not probably earlier, earlier too, but during this time, the decision was made. And in the garden, and we'll see it next week, he made a decision in the garden that if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me, but I want your will, Father, to be done, not my will. But at this time period, he knew. 
And, and you might ask the question, you know, as they're, as, as they're rejoicing on him coming into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday, everybody wave your little palm thing. Everybody, if you got one there, just, just wave it, everybody. I mean, that's what they were doing. They were waving it. They laid him out on the ground. He, here he comes, you know, and, and they acknowledge him. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. All this was going on. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, just want you to be aware, you know. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, Hosanna in the highest. I mean, everybody's rejoicing. But they didn't know what was fixing to happen. He did, but they didn't. They think they did, but they didn't. I mean, can you see that there was a whole group of people around Jerusalem, you know, that they gathered together and say there was 500 of them, and they're all talking about, woo, Jesus is going to the cross, he's going to be mutilated. He's going he's to go, you know, and die the death that he's going to die, he's going to be raised on, on the third day, and he's going to ascend on high, and we're going to have power. You know, they were rejoicing, thinking, hoping he was the Messiah. He knew he was the Messiah. Remember when he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, because of the miracles that you're producing. Some say you're Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, you're this, that, or whoever. Who do you say I am? Peter came up with the right answer. And Jesus said, on the rock of Revelation, you've gotten this. And I'll build my church on this that the gates of hell will not prevail against. So he had some revelation, but he was talked out of it. He was talked out of it until after. You ever been talked out of anything? You ever been talked out of maybe you first got born again and, and the enemy came to try to tell you, you know, those mistakes you've made? How, how, could, you be, how could you be a Christian? You worthless piece of scum. Everybody else has overcome these kind of things. They don't make mistakes like they used to make. That's a lie. Everybody gets talked out of this stuff. Everybody gets hammered with it. But I'm telling you today, we don't have to ever be talked out of anything because of the price that he paid for you and I. And he, he saw you and he saw me. I don't know how, but he did. And you know what he did? He chose you. He didn't choose himself. He chose you. To do what? Empower us to not choose ourselves all the time. To empower us to think of the good of other people and not just thinking about ourselves. He chose me in spite of me. He chose me instead of him to empower me. That's what we're looking at today. He was raised to life. That zoe, that eternal life, that everlasting life, that's what he was raised to. <clears throat> I want to read just, just three of the verses that we read last week. We read like 21 verses out of John 3, but I want to read these three verses that are very popular verses, especially verse 16. But look at John 3 and verse 14. Now I'm reading this in the New King James. And it says... <clears throat> As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. The life of God. When? Right now. Everybody say it with me. I have eternal life. 
You, you have life forever. You have, you, you're alive forever. You're existing forever. But you have eternal life, the Zoe life, the God kind of life, residing on the inside of you if you're born again. If you're not born again, you've been created in the image of God. You have the potential to have the life of God operating on the inside of you. But it's your choice. And Jesus had been talking to Nicodemus, very religious man of the day, and, and he made a statement right before these three verses. He said, you being a religious leader, you're not even understanding what in the world that I'm talking about, that a man must be born again. A man must be born again for what? Eternal life. Listen to me. This life is not everything. It's not all there is. This life is just like that much. In, in, it's probably that much compared to eternity. This, this life is, is, is just a pit stop. It's just a training ground, if you will, to what eternity looks like. What eternity, absence, being absent from this body and being in the presence of the Lord, the difference there, and there's a lot of differences, but the main difference is there's no devil. There's no enemy. There's no resistance whatsoever to our faith. God still wants our faith developed, but what really pleases God is when we learn to take the information that we hear preached. As I'm telling you today about eternal life and, and that it, it is, it's from right here on eternally, the, the, the next verse calls it something a little bit more. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The verse before that said eternal life, but everlasting life. It, it, you say it's, it's the same thing. Yeah, but it's a, it's a greater encouragement that it's never going to end. This life is not all there is to life. Yeah, as my wife just said, thank God. Amen? Thank God this isn't all there is. Now listen to me. So, so we just kind of give up on this life? No, absolutely not. When you realize that everlasting life is now, and this life is not all there is, and you realize that everlasting life is living on the inside of you, you can make this life so much better. You can make this life so much better when you learn and you begin to see how He's empowered you to overcome all of the issues in life, all the the, the, the weaknesses that, that it appears that we have in life, all the misunderstandings of life. We, can, we have the wisdom of God on the inside, the power of God, the, the, the favor of God. We have everything that He is inside of us because of the price that He paid, because of the decision that He made. Can you say amen to that? In John 11... 
John 11 and verse 25. And I'm reading this out of the message. You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now. Resurrection and I'm life. I'm going to read that again. You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me today does not ultimately die at all. And then he asks the question, do you believe this? And the answer is, yes, Master. All along, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. That question is asked, and it's asked to you and I today. I don't care how much you know about God or you don't know about God. The question is asked, do you believe He's the Messiah? Do you believe He's the Savior of the world? Do you believe that He is the one that you must be born again of? Do you believe that He is In other words, who he says he is. He said, I'm the everlasting life. He's saying here, physical death is not the end. There's something about being reminded of that and and actually being in a position where you're asked the question regarding that. It's so very refreshing to be able to answer it. And if you can't answer that you know that, you just keep developing There's never an end to anything. I mean, you you think about day-to-day, emotionally, how you individually, just you, can be stirred up, can can be upset, can, from one day to the next, the way you feel can change everything about your life. Anybody testify to that? You don't have to raise your hand, just, just acknowledge in your head. I mean, things can change from one day to the next like you're not even living in the same state, country, like you're living on some other planet because it's like all hell tries to break loose and if you get stirred up emotionally and you don't begin to know the authority that he paid for for you to take authority over those things, then man, you can get so discouraged and feel like that this never will work. That I'll never be able to get to this point. I'll never be able to experience the victory that I'm looking at. But the Bible says if you just don't quit, if you don't quit with the Word, if you don't quit with the Word, I really like what Sandra shared, and actually Debbie shared that in the prayer circle, as she said this morning, about those daily routines and how vital that they are. Because what you're doing is you're developing on the inside of you this awareness and this understanding of what He actually did for you, and you can have it today, and it's for today forever. Everybody say, it's forever. It never ceases. I don't care how many mistakes you make. I don't care how much you screw up or things that are supposedly not right. We don't want to stay in screw-ups. We want to know we've been empowered to be able to overcome anything that doesn't please Him. You're living your life to please people, you'll never measure up. I don't care what you do, I don't care how you perform, I don't care all these, uh, you'll never measure up when you're trying to please people.
But when you're learning and developing a, a life where what you do, you want to please God, whoo, glory to God. I mean, and you can live that way forever. This doesn't be something I try for a couple of weeks. I can do this forever. Amen. And it produces the same way it did for him in our lives forever. Forever. I really, Sandra, that was a good word you shared today about, about judging something in your life. And, and for those of you that weren't in the prayer circle, that's what Debbie did, the same thing. They, they kind of followed up. And I really like that because, because that's what the Word of God is about. These daily routines are not to change things in your life. And people have misunderstood the confessions of the Word and daily routines where you're hearing yourself declare what God says is so. It's not to change things necessarily in the moment. It's to change the way you think so that when things need to change, you really believe they're going to change before they need to change. And those daily routines get your mind clear and your focus clear to be able to do it the way God wants it done. He has a plan. He has a way of doing, right? And, and everybody that, that tries to say they know God and understand God and try to say this is, well, you know, that, that couldn't be God. Well, how do you know if you've never put it to work? Well, that couldn't be God's way of doing something. Yeah, but you don't have a relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship and you don't know Him, and I'm astounded at the people that don't, that think they're an authority about God. Now, I'm not saying I'm an authority about God. I'm just saying I know Him. I'm just saying I know him. And my relationship gets stronger all the time. And everything, listen, see, Easter doesn't end at the end of this week on Sunday. Easter's 24-7, 365 days a year to me. See, because the more I develop my relationship with God, the more I see how God so loved me that he gave the best for me, for me, for Mia. Me. He gave it to me. He did it for me. If I'd have been the only one, but then you got to turn that around, not hear me saying about me that I'm talking about you. How much? It's just overwhelming at times. It's literally overwhelming. Jesus in that passage was saying, you'll die physically, but you'll never die spiritually. You need, to be, you need to be reminded of that. There'll be a day you'll leave this planet in this physical body. You'll leave here. But you'll never die spiritually. Thank God this is not who we are. It's what me, who I am, live in. If you're going to live on planet Earth, if you're going to live here, you've got to live in one of these Earth suits. Right? And so if you're going to live in this suit here on the Earth... Yet you know that when this thing falls to the ground and does whatever it does, and there's no more life in it, that doesn't mean you're not alive. Absence from the body is where? Right face to face with God. Whew. Holy. Moly. Amen? Absence from the body is in the presence of the Lord. That should be something that purifies us. It, it, it brings, a, brings an expectation to us 
This life is not all there is. And, I, and today, you know, I don't, I don't talk about this life is not all there is all the time. My, my focus is not on that. My focus is on making this life better. But man, there's days we need to be reminded. This is what he was telling his disciples. Can you say amen? <clears throat> I just want to read this passage out of Hebrews 12 just as an encouragement, and then I've got two other passages I'm going to read before I end. But Hebrews 12 and verse 1, <clears throat> this to me says and really describes how he thought about you and I and not himself. And it says, therefore, verse 1, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the beginning of our faith and the one who, who is finishing our faith if we don't quit. For who the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? That joy was me. That joy was you. The joy that was set before him. Not the agony, the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despised all the shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. He paid the price. So no matter what we face, we overcome. If we choose Him. He chose us. Now today He's saying, you choose me in whatever you face. You choose other people instead of you when you're doing some of the things that you're doing or battling with or trying to get through. God knows what we face. He knows what we're going through. He knows every obstacle and, and, and everything the enemy tries to set out there to trip us up. He knows what those are. But he paid the price. So when we face those things, they don't have to get the best of us. Ever. I said ever. I'll say it again. Ever. Can you say amen to that? <clears throat> He gave it all to us to empower us to overcome anything and everything. Why? Because he followed the Father's example. He followed his example. <clears throat> so just looking at this, and I want to read these next few passages of Scripture, because this is what happened this week before on Pentecost and, and I, wanna, I want you to see a couple things that I just feel like needed to be read today because we need to understand this. And in John 1, 29, it says this. The next day, this is, a, this is like right towards the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knew something that other people didn't know. He had revelation and understanding about who Jesus was that people didn't know. And he was taken out, but it was the plan of God. He was taken out because of the revelation that he had. People come against people that have revelation. What John was saying, actually, is that Jesus was and is today to us that Passover lamb. That's what he was saying there. I just want to give you a little bit of history. Just listen to me as I'm talking just for a moment about Passover. Passover that we know of in Scripture started during the time of Israel being in, in Egyptian bondage and God calling Moses to lead them out. There were, there were ten different plagues assigned to get Pharaoh to let the people go, and he refused every single time until the tenth and the final plague. And, and that final plague, the death of the firstborn, Israel was to sacrifice an unblemished lamb and take the blood and mark the doorpost, uh, and death to their firstborns would be passed over. That's where the word Passover came from. John was calling Jesus in John 1, 29, he was calling him that lamb, that lamb, taking us from death to life, positioning us for eternal life, for everlasting life to those that receive him. That's why he was telling Nicodemus, For a man to experience everlasting, forever life, he must be born again. He must. It's not an option. A person has to be born again. So, I want to read something to you, two different passages that many times in Scripture, and I thought for a long time, they were the same story. Um... One of them is found in John 12, and the other one is found in Mark 14. And I always thought that they were the same story, but they're not. They're different ladies. And just a a little more history. Six days before Passover, from the time that Moses led the children of Israel out, out of Egypt, and they set up the Passover lamb, six days before Passover, Through the years, people would pick a lamb, keep it in their house for five days. They'd keep it in their house for five days to make sure that the ankles, the feet, and the legs had no blemishes. They would use the spinknerd oil, which was a very expensive oil, like, you know, today it'd be even more expensive than that, but it'd be maybe like an essential oil, like a lavender oil. But, but, I mean, a lot of it. And, um, and they, they would take that and rub it on those places to prepare this sacrificial lamb. That's what Israel did for years. And, and the stories, the two stories, six days before the Passover, that happened. And then two days before the Passover, there was always another day of anointing of oil. So this first story that I'm reading to you is the first anointing 
that came on Jesus um, found in John 12, and it's six days before the Passover. And that's what it says, the verse 1 says. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spinkner, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, like they would the sacrificial lamb. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who betrayed him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was in it. He used to take what he put in it. What was put in Jesus' money box, Judas would steal it from him. For the poor, Jesus said, you have with you always, but me, you do not have always. And what they were doing, what, what Mary was doing was anointing his feet and his ankles with the anointing oil, preparing him for his death. Now, in Mark chapter 14 and verse 3, two days before Passover, the custom was, um, the lamb had oil poured on the head to signify that it was free of sickness and any kind of blemish. So, we, so here in this passage, we see this exact same thing happen to Jesus. So six days before the ankles, the feet, the legs, the oil was rubbed on it to make sure that there were no blemishes. Two days before, it was poured on, on the head of the animal, on the lamb, signifying there were no sicknesses and no blemishes whatsoever. That's why this had to happen to prepare this Lamb of God for your and my deliverance and our freedom. Can you say amen to that? Chapter 14 and verse 3. And being in Bethany at the, at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spinkered. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Remember, Mary put it on his feet and on his ankles, and on his legs. And she poured the flask on his head, but there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply, but Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. That's why I felt like it needed to be read today. That this was a memorial signifying the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was imminent. And it was fixing to happen. 
Because as he was prepared to take it all on himself for you and I, so that we would have eternal life, what he accomplished empowers us to overcome in every situation right now in our life. Everything that happened with that oil and what it signified was what the Jewish people did from the day of Moses. What did, what did Moses do? He led them out to lead them in. I'm going to say it again. He led them out of bondage into the promised land was the plan of God. Scripture says in Psalm that Moses led them out to lead them in. We know Moses didn't lead them in. Why? Because there was a true Savior. There was the true Savior that would accomplish that for all of mankind. I mean, the children of Israel, through Joshua and different ones, made it to that promised land, but didn't experience the liberty and the victories that, that God intended for them to do had Moses led them in. Moses was to lead them out of Egypt and in about an 11-day journey, them enter into the promised land and receive all that God had. But they weren't ready. They weren't prepared. All of humanity was not prepared to embrace and receive and have the ability to accomplish what the picture of the promised land with Moses looked like. Yeah, they got temporary freedoms and certain things good happened and, and different covenants were established and all that was good. But that was a picture of what would happen way down the road. From Moses all the way to Jesus, the Word of God was crying out to see the manifestation of the one that would truly liberate us. And when it came time for this, when it came Passover time and came time prepared for this to happen for him, these women brought this oil, this oil two different times and prepared his body for a death, for a burial, for a resurrection and an ascension so that you and I would have eternal life forever and ever and ever. And from this day on, as I'm reading these passages of Scripture to you, you and I know we can experience that victory right now for the rest of our life here and, and beyond. It's ours. Someone shout amen to that. It's ours today. It's not someday you know, it's not when it looks like it, when it feels good, I'm telling you, that victory is ours today in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? I want to read this last couple of verses found in Matthew 9. <laughs> because this is not us. What he did is what we're here to do. I've got to drive this point home. When Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, uh, Matthew 9 and verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Are we doing that now? We're preaching the gospel, the good news of, of the kingdom, and doing what? Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Remember, that's on that side of the cross. What he was saying was on that side of the cross, look what, what he was moved with. He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep that have no shepherd. That's not where we're at today. Can you say amen? Amen? What I do 
as an under-shepherd is to make sure the word gets to people so the true shepherd can shepherd you. Right? That's why we do this. That's why we have this place. That's why we have what we call church, because, but yet we're the church, but we have and we meet together as the body of Christ because it takes all of us to make up what he did. It takes all of us together in the unity and the oneness to put all the parts together to accomplish in the earth what he accomplished for us. It's not going to happen in one person. One person's not going to have everything that Jesus did, but all of us together, oh my gosh, there's no end to what we can do. Oh my goodness. There is no end to what you and I can have. And we are not a bunch of sheep scattered because we have no shepherd. We have the good shepherd. Can you say amen? And, and I don't take lightly the role that I play. I have many, 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 many friends who are under shepherds of congregations that don't take their roles lightly because it's not for people to worship us or to look at us as the shepherd. We're the under shepherds making sure that what? The word gets out there. Like Sandra said, like Debbie said, like all of you know, like we're teaching on Wednesday nights. It's that word becoming a part of us so that it renews our mind so we think like him so we can develop relationships with him so he can shepherd us. Every one of us individually. And everything that I get Everything I get better at as, a, as an under-shepherd, if, if I get better as an under-shepherd, it's just because I'm more like him. And in the role in that office of an under-shepherd, making sure the word gets in your heart so that you grow up, we'll never be people that are scattered. We'll always be people going from place to place everywhere we set our foot, seeing people healed, delivered, set free, and liberated. Why? Because of the God that is on the inside of us. The ever lasting life that was raised from the dead. Do, do, do you know, do you know that he literally died, was separated from God? He literally died, was separated from God, and went to the brink of hell, the Bible says, and was raised by the power of God, because he had to do what prophecy said had to happen. And when he did that, can you imagine being separated from God? Can you imagine what he went through so that you and I would be liberated? Remember, remember, he didn't do it for himself. He wasn't going through the motions of this because, you know, uh, the father and the son got in a fight in heaven and they were having some issues and there was battles going on and so he was having to sacrifice and do all this stuff to get his life cleaned up. And he, No, no. He did this for you and for me. Only. That's it. Nothing else. Separated from God, raised from the dead, sat back down in heaven, now at the right hand of the Father, in all authority, dominion, and power, and the Holy Spirit lives in us, and we access all that we need from heaven to do whatever we need to do here. And as you and I believe it every day, and we walk in it, we can experience everything that everlasting life is intended to experience now in this life forever and ever.
You know, you know one thing I want you to get in your, in your thinking? When you think everlasting life, I don't think old life. God wants you to see yourself getting better, not older. You understand? Because if, if what really matters and, 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 and the indicator about your life really has to do with you spiritually, we're not getting older spiritually, we're getting better spiritually. See? We got to get our minds off of this flesh. I'm not saying don't take care of your flesh. I'm, I'm all about taking care of your body here because you, you don't take care of this and, it, and it, you, you leave here early. We don't want to leave here early. We want to be here as long as God wants us to be here until we're done. Can you say amen to that? But what really matters is how much better you're getting all the time. That's what everlasting life is. That's what he paid for, for me to get better all the time. So when I leave here and I'm face-to-face with him, man, it's just stepping right over and continuing on. Not stepping over and going, oh, my gosh, what, what is this? No, stepping over just, I mean, it'll be a shock in, the, in whatever, whoever steps over. But when we step over, we just keep going. Because we're in faith, we're getting better and stronger spiritually, and, and we're seeing all that God has for us, that, that he's already done for us, happen, begin to happen here on this earth. That's what he wants. He wants it happening now in your and my life, in the name of Jesus.